The hard thing is that like the pre and postnatal world, it's either there's two sides of the spectrum. One is all you can do is lay down and breathe and do some yoga. Or there are people who are like throwing all caution to the wind and they're like, your body's strong and tough, like go balls to the wall and like do whatever you want, right? Like you are untouchable, unstoppable. And there has to be a middle ground. You're listening to the Mothercraft Podcast the podcast that will help you feel less alone through pregnancy, the early days of postpartum, and throughout your journey of motherhood. I'm your host, Sarah Dunn. Let's get to the show. So today I am talking with Caitlin Wozniak. Caitlin is a birth doula, pre- and postnatal movement specialist in the D.C. area, and a mom of two, Therese and Betty. With over a decade of experience in the fitness industry under her belt, she was encouraged to become a doula by her clients who experienced birth traumas, both emotional and physical. Caitlin has done a great deal of work as a women's health advocate. Working with women and mothers blends her passions for empowering women to connect deeper to their bodies and build the confidence they deserve to be more autonomous and bold in all aspects of life. Across all of the hats she wears, she's on a mission to redefine motherhood and to help women tap into the woman within the mother. Caitlin, welcome to the podcast. So excited and grateful to have you here for obvious reasons. I mean, having you as one of my early guests, like obviously you were, you were kind of like outside of family and friends. You were the single contact for me, given that I moved and changed care providers and whatever. But the reason that I wanted to talk with you beyond just my adoration of you and for you is because I think the way that you approach everything is just rad. And I think it like, I think in consuming media and information, I think women can feel like we already feel this way, whether we're moms or not, whether we're pregnant or not, like we already feel like there is a perfect way of doing things and a way that's right or wrong. And what I love about you and how you are is you invite nuance and option and empowerment to the conversation. And so before, I mean, I'm sure we'll get into like how you got to this point in your professional career, but I would just love to talk with you about all of the services that you provide. And like, how do you successfully think that you work with clients so that they don't feel like they're put in a box? Is that a fair, is that a fair question? That's a heavy question. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's funny because I think I I had this conversation yesterday with a client and she was asking, you know, how did you get to where you are? Which, you know, it's like a totally reasonable question when somebody is a mom and has a business, right? She's four weeks postpartum. She's like, how did this happen? Like, I can't, she can't see through like the pocket she's in right now. Right. No, none of us really can And I often say that like, not to put the cart before the horse here, because I know we have a whole lot to talk about, but like motherhood truly, I think it's like, I got really scared when I was about halfway through my pregnancy with my son being like, who am I going to be? Right. I was so excited to become a mom, but then, you know, there's this pervasive narrative that like motherhood strips you of your identity. You no longer have options. Your life is over. Stop dreaming. Right. Yep. You can, you are this and only this now. And for me, it was different in that I had been stuck in and tolerating a really toxic work environment for years. And it was after I had Reese that I realized that I could 
restructure my priorities. And, you know, I've said this to you before, but like my threshold for the bullshit that I tolerated was so much lower. And so it was like, like becoming a mom catapulted me into my, what is now my reality. Like I left a toxic workplace. I started a business. I figured it out. And I know that sounds overly simplified, but like it gave me the push, right? And and at the heart of my entire brand, it's like helping women realize like motherhood does not leave you empty or depleted or have to be this era of self-abandonment. Mm. Obviously, we have these beautiful, important compromises for our children and motherhood and, and life yeah. navigating all of that. But I think like when you can harness those pockets and balance that with like stepping into yourself in like this like primal sexy, juicy way. Like I think it, it opened the door for me to be able to be a pre and postnatal personal trainer, then become a doula, just like very serendipitously. And then it just, all these other avenues that I watched women like really struggle with, like just really came about organically. Yeah. That's, I think like what you're hitting on and we can kind of like go through your journey chronologically, but I think you talk about women feeling empty or like I think women like lose their footing. And I think one of the things that you do so well is you empower women with information. You also invite them to get in touch with their intuition. And you also really hone in on the physical component of it, obviously, given your background. So I want to get into doula services and birth education in a minute. Can we talk about like training and how you're one, how you kind of you kind of fell into pre and postnatal training? Is that right? Yeah, I think I had like a hunger to learn more, but I, so my background, like the reason I got into fitness is I struggled most of my life with an eating disorder. And it just, I was, you know, a young athlete, but in my recovery journey, every therapist, every provider was like, you cannot move your body. And I was like there. So you get to the other side of other side. I say that. (laughs) I'm eating disorder recovery because we all know like disordered eating is a long, long road, but like it's a forever road, maybe forever road. I like you get onto the other side of treatment, like a treatment plan, inpatient, outpatient, whatever. And you've been given structured meal plans and the rule of never moving your body. Right. And so I always argued that like the, that was such a disservice to people who like, Hey, it's not healthy to live that way. Right. (laughs) Another, another like rigid rule put in place and, and that doesn't work for anyone. And so I realized like someone needed to bridge the gap between like the psychology of like helping women be more at peace in their bodies, but also how to move intuitively, nourish our bodies and, and like heal that relationship. So I started in fitness wanting to only train women. And a lot of my clients were becoming pregnant. And I was also getting to a point in my life where I was like, I'll be pregnant one day. And I really wanted to like do better by my prenatal clients, my post clients. But I was like, nobody knows what they're talking about. Like I never felt equipped to do it. And so I just started like, I did a nosedive into pre and postnatal corrective exercise certifications, like movement Mm -hmm. certifications, really trying to under better understand the, the perinatal body. And while I was walking that path, it was like literally the same week I, I signed up for my more advanced pre and postnatal certification. I found out I was pregnant with Reese. Oh, wow. And it just like felt that so gives cool. me goosebumps. <laughs> yeah, it was just incredible. Right. And I think like looking back, I'm like, wow, like 
the universe. It was like this karmic moment for me to like, you took this chance and like everything kind of just, it, it almost is like the press play moment for my career. Yeah. And I got to apply a lot of the principles I was learning to myself, walking alongside my clients. And the the hard thing is that like the pre and postnatal world, it's either there's two sides of the spectrum. One is all you can do is lay down and breathe and do some yoga. Or there are people who are like throwing all caution to the wind and they're like, your body is strong and tough, like go balls to the wall and like do whatever you want, right? Like you are untouchable, unstoppable. And there has to be a middle ground, right? Like, because both are doing such a disservice to women. Neither one are teaching women about like the power that we hold within our bodies, how to like, and I often go back to this statement because people will come to me and they'll say, what do I have to stop doing? right? When do I have to modify? And I often say like, it's so much less about what you have to remove. It's about how, what can we build in Mm -hmm. to like better, like take what you're doing and what you love and do it in a smarter, safer way. Mm -hmm. I love that. And by the way, that was what you're talking about before I met you was like literally my experience. I went and I want to ask you a really blunt question because I went to, I was going, before I started working with you, we had just moved. I had signed up for like a cross, it was like a non-CrossFit, but CrossFit gym. You know, all the hit gyms that are like, we're just hit. And you're like, no, you still call it WAD. You're still doing everything <laughs> that's like exactly CrossFit-esque. And I got pregnant and I mean, I was just really tired. I was lucky I didn't get sick, but I remember going to the gym, not to be ageist, but like a 27-year-old guy. And he was totally like, you know, we'll help you be strong and whatever. And like something about it just so didn't feel right. And so this is just a, this is my blunt question for you because you, you trained women who were pregnant before you, you were pregnant, right? Mm -hmm. Would you trust a trainer that wasn't, hasn't been through this experience? Nope. (laughs) (laughs) And that's why I felt so poorly equipped, right? Like, yeah, and I'll say it. I was at for six years and I did their pre and postnatal certification. In fact, I did it twice. And I was like, I did it again, like two years later. And I was like, something's missing like this. It felt so amateur. Right. And for a company that like, you know, you can beep out the name if you will beep out the name for you, (laughs) but it's like for a company that claims to be so on like the forefront of science and cutting edge and like the pinnacle of the fitness industry was like, you are doing such a disservice. Yeah. population that deserves so much more because every time I get, I swear I did it twice. Like I paid to do it twice. I sat through it. And I just kept leaving being like, we can't chalk prenatal training up to shoving a BOSU under someone's shoulders. <laughs> like that's not it. You know what I mean? Yeah. And I was like, I know that there's more. I know there's more. But I did the best I could, right? Mm-hmm. And I see it. I see it in like the earnest way that like trainers I respect and admire and love try to train pre and postnatal. And I'm like, honey, I am in your back pocket. Like you could text me. You could call me right now and ask mm-hmm. me anything that like any questions you have, but like, it's not people. I don't know. I think people like have the best intentions and the world tells us that it's as simple as just modify. Don't let women lay on their back. Don't let their heart rate get too high. It, when in fact, like there's so much and and not to knock any, cause I think a lot of people again have like go into it with the best of intentions, right. Yep. And really wanting to help people. But I often also say like, not even just like if I were pregnant, I would not personally, I can't speak for everyone, but personally, that's the question you asked me. It was like, would I trust somebody who has never been through it? 
The answer now is no. And I second that with like now where I am, I wouldn't want a prenatal postpartum trainer for myself or someone that I love who doesn't also understand the physiology of childbirth. Yeah, that's a, that's, and that just gave me goosebumps because I've been thinking a lot about, I want to talk about how you became a doula and how you decided to do that. But it's like, it makes so much sense. Like, it's like such a natural segue. Like, here you are working with women, like conception, preconception, trying to conceive through getting ready to have a baby and you're creating the space for them. What I know about you, and you can correct me if you're, if this is wrong, is like when you talk about like, there has to be a better way. My experience in working with you is that the better way is getting in touch with your body, knowing what feels good and right to you, knowing when to back off, like not to bring masculine energy to your pregnancy, but also knowing when to bring that kind of strong energy to your pregnancy when you feel good, like embrace it. You don't need to be just doing yoga and meditation, right? Like that to me is like when you talk about like what was missing, it's inviting women to actually get in touch with their bodies and figure out what they need. Does that feel like a fair summary? Yeah. yeah. I mean, I, yeah, absolutely. And I think, you know, the foundations of like understanding, like, you know, I start every client with like foundations of understanding your core and pelvic floor. Yeah. How do those things work together? Because like nothing, nothing else makes sense if you don't understand how that inner unit system works. Yeah. And it's going to change because arguably people can continue to go to CrossFit. People can continue to do whatever the they want. You can swear on this podcast, by the way. <laughs> great. Fucking great. <laughs> I, I, but it's like, I want my clients to be able to like work with me so that they can continue to do the things that they love. Again, just safer, smarter, wiser, more intentional. And instead of like, and, and I think also too, to your point, it's, it's getting down to the realities of like, can you can you flex like the self-awareness muscle, right? Can you tame that inner athlete and like know yourself well enough to say like, if I do continue to do orange theory or CrossFit or whatever, like, do I trust myself to scale and not, not try to compete with the person next to me? Right. Because I think that's a, that's a big conversation too. And like, and, and at the heart of it, it is, it's, it's that, in, that deeper connection to yourself. And I love that you bring up like the masculine feminine energy thing, because it's something that I've really tried to learn more about and over the last year. And we all have that beautiful balance of both, right? And they both have their time to shine. And when it comes to fitness, there's this idea that lifting weights is purely masculine. It takes you out of your feminine energy. And I'm like, can we stop like trying to pigeonhole women as like these delicate bubble wrapped people, right? Like we, we know this, right? Like science is there that like lifting weights, like keeps us strong and healthy, protects our, our bones and our joints. And also I argue that like, I feel so empowered, so strong, so like alive and lit up and sexy. Like when I'm lifting, right. That's like when I feel my, my most like powerful, and deeply attuned self. And so I do think, yeah, it's like, it's, it's learning how to just like go inward and understand when your body needs one over the other. And pregnancy is one of those moments where, and also, again, I feel like we will do this a lot, but I think this funnels into this conversation where from the moment we start trying to conceive or we do conceive a baby, wherever that journey starts for each individual person, it's immediately met with 
rules and expectations of all the things that you cannot do, all the things you should be doing, all the things you should never do. And then you get into, as you're nearing childbirth, all the rules and, and the systems in place to like disempower women in in a hospital environment. Right. Mm -hmm. And we wonder why women get to postpartum and feel a lack of intuition, a disconnect Mm -hmm. from motherhood or, we're seeking answers outside of ourselves to figure out how to raise our children or how to treat ourselves, right? How to find ourselves. Like we're, we've been stripped of autonomy from the second we pee on a stick or even before that, if you're starting like a fertility journey and it's so, it just feels so disempowering. And, and I see so many women, like, you know, the coolest thing in my job, honestly, like you didn't even ask this, but it just came to me. Is, <laughs> Good, great. But like in postpartum, when I watch my clients, like the light bulb goes off, like that moment where you see somebody be like, they they come into postpartum a little bit like kind of shrouded and like curled up. And like when you see somebody show up to a session and their like chest is puffed out and they're like, yeah, I got this now, you know, like it's, it's a really cool moment. And obviously like it happens kind of gradually and over time, but like to see my clients step into this like really powerful, pronounced moment, reclaiming themselves. And I think a lot of that does have to do with that connection to movement too, that inner trust that we that we start from the physical that like bleeds into the emotional and, and, and mental. Yeah, totally. I can imagine for you like watching kind of the, well, yeah, watching kind of the curve because I think I think even with all the work you can do physically, mentally, whatever, we've got a lot of information coming at us all the time about what's right and what's wrong. And I think you're so vulnerable throughout trying to conceive. It could be your pregnancy. You feel vulnerable. Postpartum days for me, early postpartum days were where I felt most vulnerable. And you can feel like you're doing it wrong when like there is no right or wrong. There just is. And like feeling empowered in the decisions you make for you and your family are like, that's really the, that is doing your best in my mind. I want to talk about, so you're training, you are pregnant. What opened the door for you, like even though we talked about it being natural, to becoming a doula and like what ignited that journey? So when prior to getting pregnant with Reese a few years beforehand, I had a large uterine fibroid that was removed surgically. And I had a, so I have a I had a previous, like, basically a C-section, right? Yeah. Just a baby for a pretty large fibroid. <laughs> and so what I never expected was that when I got pregnant, there would be, I'd be treated like I had had a previous C-section. Like I was a VBAC, right? A vaginal birth after cesarean is basically like the way that my pregnancy was handled. I just, at the time, I didn't know any better. I wasn't a doula. I didn't even know what doulas were. And I was just like, okay, I trust my doctor. Like I need a C-section. What were they afraid of, Caitlin? Like, I'm just curious. What were they, what were they worried about? They often are worried. And and honestly, nobody gave me hard facts on this. They were just, they literally told me verbatim, you are not a candidate for a vaginal birth. Oh, I was so young. Yeah. I was was a baby. Mm -hmm. (laughs) I was a baby having a baby. I was like, you know, I really, I was in my mid twenties. Yeah. I didn't know any better. I was like, no, your frontal lobe was b- barely fully developed. Yeah, it's not your I fault. <laughs> and I look back at it and I'm like, you know, recently four and a half, but like I've, I'm now in my thirties and I've been at this motherhood thing, which like forces you to grow up. And so many ways. So I look yeah. back and I'm like, I didn't know the right, 
questions to ask. I didn't know anything. I just was like, okay. And guess what? They told me that I would deliver my baby at 37 weeks and three days. And I was like, that sounds nice. (laughs) You're like, I don't have to be pregnant for nine full months or whatever, 44 weeks. Yeah. Yeah. That is the most honest answer I can give you. And which is why I relate so deeply to when my clients are up against, you know, unnecessary inductions and things of this nature. And the reason I share that is because my kid wound up in the NICU for 24 hours because his lungs were not developed. He had a really hard time respirating. I was separated from my baby. I didn't get to do skin to skin. I didn't get to barely nurse him. He, I held him in my recovery room. So 30 minutes after he was born was the first time I held him in my arms. And he got taken from me after about 10 minutes. Oh my God. My, I told my husband, go be with him. And I was there alone for hours. I couldn't move because I I had, you know, my spinal block and all these things. And it was the most depressing few hours of my life. And I had one person that I talked to about it It was my cousin. And we texted because you know how like in the, in the postpartum rooms, they have those little like whiteboards. It's like, how are you feeling? And there's like the scale with the smiley faces and the sad faces. And I was like, this seems like a sick joke. Like I, I feel like I'm at like zero. I'm not even on this. I'm, I'm so like, I'm not on this. Like <laughs> I'm like, I'm so in pain. I'm so sad. Like, you know what I mean? Yeah. So after I moved through that, like I was still training, I became a doula in 2020 and I, I had my son in 2019. And it was, I was, I was really encouraged to become a doula from a lot of my clients. Like, Hey, they were like, I see the way you work and are passionate about this, this line of work. And I think you'd be a great doula. But I also saw a lot of my clients coming to me with postpartum birth trauma, physical trauma. Right. And I was like, what is happening? And then I was like, Oh yeah, I saw what I went through. Right. And so then I started learning and learning and learning and learning when I got pregnant with my daughter, Oh, and all this to say, you asked me like what they were worried about. They're worried about uterine rupture, right? And and what I learned and the long road to this answer is that w- when I became pregnant with Betty and I was pursuing a VBAC, I did so much research. And what you start learning is like there's less than a 1% risk of uterine rupture, right? Yeah. And even with uterine rupture, we have so much knowledge now to like identify the signs and symptoms of a rupture before they become really, truly risky. and. I think that it is, again, a major disservice to women who, when we don't give them the full truth, the full paint, the full picture, right? And and I often go back to this statement where I'm like, my job as a doula is not to infantilize you as a woman, right? As a person, as a family, like I know, I know there are a lot of doulas who will only work with people if they want a certain birth outcome. But to me, I'm like, my job is to trust that you are a discerning, intelligent, kick-ass person who can like take information and make informed decisions for yourself. It would be so far out of alignment for myself if I was bullying people into their birth choices. Yeah. You bring up a really important thing. And we've talked about this for the years that I've known you now. And I guess I'm curious your perspective on like the narrative that seems pervasive amongst doulas. And I don't want to categorize everybody out there, but you do seem unique to me in the sense that you don't push unmedicated. I hate the word natural birth. Like I literally hate when people are like natural births. I'm like, okay, hold the phone. Unmedicated or minimal medical intervention. 
I guess I'm curious your thoughts on when you became a doula and you got into this, what I'm hearing is that you had your own experience and that a number of clients had experience where you saw that they were being disempowered. So you went and got education so that you could help empower women to make whatever choices. I guess I'm curious, and we could talk about your personal experience, but I'm also curious about the general narrative that you're seeing amongst doulas, like kind of, it feels like to me pushing this agenda of like the medical system is always evil. It is always unnecessary. Yeah. I'm just curious your thoughts on like the current narrative with that and then like how you provide your services amongst that narrative. Yeah. It's sticky, right? It's very sticky. And I think it's social media is a blessing and a curse because we do have access to so much information, but we also have access to that, right? Like, because the thing is, I respect any, like start your business. I, I, I am so proud of so many people who are like, I want to do this. I'm going to bust my ass and make a business out of it. And like, good for you. But I don't, I can't align with, with like the inevitable side of judgment, shame. Again, this like, I'm your savior of your birth, right? Mm. I, I don't like that. I think it's, again, like my job is not to leave my client's side after they have a baby and then be like, I couldn't have done that without you. Like, my greatest hope is that my clients are almost like, forget I'm there. You know what I mean? Mm. Forget I'm there. Just be like, oh my God, I did that. Like I kicked ass. I did that. Right. Because like we've done all the work together in our prenatals and through that job where like they felt so empowered and so in control. Obviously it's like your duel is like your insurance policy, right? Like you're like kind of coming in and you're like, I'm here. I am here. And like, I, I'm ready to go to town for like whatever you need. But like, I don't ever want my clients to feel like I like the victory was because I was there, right? Like, right. I, I want because them the to- opposite of that, Caitlin. I think probably shows up, and we talked about this post my delivery. Is that if you put yourself at the center of their birth, then if the their birth preferences, well, you're, we should talk about plan versus preferences. Mm-hmm. But yeah. if their desired outcome doesn't happen, then they can feel not even upset with you, but like shame or disappointment, like they let you down, right? Like if they change their path at whatever point, if you, and you don't do this, but if somebody places themselves at the center of the outcome, then they're they're also setting their, I think their client up for feeling incredible shame if and when things change. Absolutely. And also think about it this way, right? And I I know you you get this, but it's if we as doulas just constantly shove the the thought down people's throats that like all interventions are bad. The medical system is toxic. C-section is a failure. Like there's a hierarchy to birth, right? That that unmedicated vaginal delivery, spontaneous unmedicated vaginal delivery is the holy grail, the pinnacle, the only way you can be successful as a birthing person, as a mother. Like when medical interventions become appropriate and necessary yeah. or they are chosen electively by our autonomous, informed, capable clients. They feel not, like the the underlying message is that like they're less than. Yeah, I try and like you said it. Like it's it, to me. I I don't call when I do my prenatals with my clients. You know this. Like I don't call them birth plans. I call them birth preferences because as much as the birth world loves to claim that birth is perfectly linear, it's just not. Yeah. Why none of us have attended two births that were the same? Yeah. <laughs> 
things happen. And like, yes, there are certain things that happen, like certain cardinal movements, but even then sometimes babies get hung up on the pelvis. Like, but I think that I try to approach interventions with more neutrality than anything, informing my clients of like the risk benefit analysis. But like, for example, should you require an induction for preeclampsia, right? Instead of that person walking into that space, fearful or already ashamed or already like, well, I failed. I didn't get to see this through the way that I thought it would happen. How can we set them up for success with that induction so that they have a greater risk of potentially avoiding like a traumatic experience? Mm. And that is my greatest hope is that my clients feel like instead of seeing these as like an epidural is like the devil's work. It's like, how can we see it as a tool in your toolbox? Because what if you've been laboring for three days? Yep. You're dead, right? Yep. Like I've seen it. I've seen it. I've seen client. I've seen so many clients labor, especially first time moms. It's so normal for like your labor to be really long. And maybe you've been laboring for three days and you're like, if I want to be present with my baby or I'm just exhausted and I cannot keep going, like yep. this has crossed the threshold into suffering, right? For whatever reason, or you can just be like, you know what? I'm done. <laughs> yeah. But it's like, how can can we neutralize this language so that we can see it as a tool and a toolkit instead of like something to have shame and stigma and fear around? And yeah, like things do go wrong, right? Like I've seen traumatic births, but, and I think that's why like most doulas tap out at three years, right? Like a lot of doulas tap out of this work after three years because you see some real, real bad shit. Like you, I've seen things and it's usually, it comes down to like stripping people of autonomy and a voice. And it's like, I have a really hard time. What's also interesting too, is like a lot of doctors and nurses really like working with me. And the common theme is they're like, we admire how you are willing and able to go to bat for your clients and their wishes. But like when it's a real medical need, you don't get in our way. Yeah. Like, it's why we birth in hospitals. It is why we birth in hospitals. (laughs) I've seen it save lives, right? I've seen it change like the trajectory and like really be powerful and, and, and utilize so swiftly and, and appropriately. And I don't even remember where, what we were talking about now. That's okay. I don't, I actually don't remember either. You know, I'm just thinking as we go as, and I want to ask about the birth of Betty. But I also know that like my experience was I had been in active labor for 40 hours and I was only five centimeters dilated because Nico was face up. And so you just don't dilate effectively like when that happens. And I was in the birth tub and I had like was really in a rhythm. And I when they after they checked me, I looked at Nick, my husband, and I thought I can't. I was like, I can't believe I'm only five centimeters dilated also because the back of Nico's head is on my bowels. So that sensation of like, you you feel like you're going to have to poop was like there the whole time. And I just know that after working with you for months, like both through training, like through breathing, through pushing prep, through all of that, I was able to get into the birthing tub and know, like, I was like, this is not working. And there was actually, this is going to sound like it came from a place of fear. It didn't. I was able to tap into my body and be like, if we don't do something differently, something could go really wrong. And that could be, I could have ended up, and it's great if you push for hours and you can get a baby out, but 
it could have been that I was too tired to push efficiently. It could have been, I mean, face up babies. I know a number of folks, OP babies, occipital posterior babies that like end up in C-section because they kind of get stuck. And like, I feel really, I don't want to say lucky because I do think it was intentional, but it is also luck because there are so many things out of our control in, in birth that I feel really grateful that I was able to like in that moment say like, this just, something's not working well. And if I don't invite these care providers around me in, like then things could go really sideways. And that was kind of, that was my experience. And I think that I credit so much of that. Not, yes, I did it, but I think it was the work we did together to like really be in tune and understand options and not vilify options and not feel shame around different tools. And I was also really lucky that the hospital and the team that I was with were like incredible. So I didn't feel like anything was coming at me. It was definitely a choice, which I do want to ask you about your birth of your second baby. So first baby with Reese, you were totally like had the medical system come at you during that time you went and, you know, go study to be a doula. Were you a doula before you had Betty? Did you have a doula at Betty's birth? Oh, well, A, and I just want to acknowledge what you're you sharing your story. I think because you said like I, this could sound like fear. I think like in a way, fear is also, again, when neutralized, right? It's like it's a survival mechanism, right? Or anxiety, right? We, we like try to treat these things with medication and whatever or positive self-talk. And it's <laughs> It's sometimes like they, they have a chemical purpose, right? Like in our psychologically, like there's reasons why we experience these, these feelings, but I think it's also important to reframe it as like, to your point, it's like, it was less about fear. It was more about my instincts, right? And the, the yes. capacity to open yourself up to receive those instincts that are so heightened in pregnancy and childbirth and, and postpartum when we have the, that window open to receive it, like that was you going inward and like listening to yourself. Right. But yet with Betty, I was planning a VBAC. I hired my doula, my wonderful doula, Molly, who I still send clients to her if I'm not available or if I think they'd be a better fit. And she was not at my birth because what happened was <laughs> around 32 weeks or so. And, and, and let me backpedal here. I had to go to bat for my VBAC. Like mm-hmm. my providers were not Oh, because you'd had your fibroids removed and a C-section. So your providers were like, no way. And you were like, but maybe. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Like, but like, if I know the risk-benefit analysis, I'm deserving of an opportunity and a chance, right? My provider was like tolerant, right? She wasn't supportive. She was tolerant because I wasn't letting up. And then I did have one random prenatal with a different provider who sat with me. She pulled up research on her computer. We spent 30 minutes, which is unheard of. And she was like, I think you have a shot at this. And I was like, thank God. But you know what? She never put that in our notes from our, from our appointment. And so then my doctor was like, I don't, I don't think that you guys had this conversation. <laughs> like, oh, love that. Right, I love right? being told by the, my provider that I'm not, that I'm hallucinating or something. Right. Yeah. Hysteria, right? So I, around 32, 33 weeks, started developing these like excruciating abdominal pains. I guess in a way, somebody could could try to convince me that I was having prodromal labor. I don't, knowing what I know about prodromal labor, it didn't line up with it. I was in 
non-stress tests every week, sometimes two or three times a week. There was no, there were no contractions. There was no, I even consented to a cervical exam at like 35 weeks, I think, because I was like, maybe something is happening. I don't know. Like sometimes they were patternable. Sometimes it was just like excruciating fetal position inducing pain. And it got to the point where, and I had miscarried between Reese and Betty. Mm. And I just got to this point where I was like, I have done so much work and I'm really, really proud of myself, but it's getting to the point where there are too many question marks. I don't, and nobody said this to me, but I, and even Molly, we would sit on our FaceTime calls our zoom calls and she would just hold space for me to like talk myself in circles. And I'd have all my research and I'm like, but this article, you know, and I'm like, no one knows there's too many, there was too much nuance, too much gray area, too many question marks. And I, I just got to the point where I was like, I am proud of myself for everything I've done because like my case is a really strange one. I was never going to have like a perfect path to follow I did everything I really wanted to do, but at this point it was no longer of service to me. It was no longer even worth it to me to risk my health or my baby because all I could think was what if my body really isn't up for this, right? What if my body is telling me like if I go into labor, like I'm already vulnerable, right? So I had an elective repeat cesarean and this time around she needed no assistance breathing. Like she was fine and we handled it well, but there were also these pockets of like resignation for me. Like I walk through like prenatals now with clients and I'm like, yeah, like I get it. Like birth, whether it's birth trauma or birth pain, right? Like just like emotional heaviness around your birth. Cause I had to grieve that too. Mm-hmm. I, I never enjoyed my pregnancy with Betty because I spent the whole time fighting for something. Mm. And I, also had to go back to work a week after I had her. So like the whole thing was just like clouded, wow. like, like the world sucks. You know what I mean? <laughs> the one thing is that I wanted a baby girl so bad. And I know so I'll get hate on that, but like I, my, my boy is my boy, but like I wanted, I always saw myself as a girl mom to like raise the kick-ass girl that I was not when I was a kid. Right. And I can't make her any promises. She's tougher than me half the time, but I'm like, I always saw myself as a girl mom, right? And so mm. so it was cool to kind of like walk that road and like have that as like, okay, like as long as she's here, like we're a team. We got this, yeah. right? We had to work yeah. with me a week out. She was one week old. We were like sitting on my computer training people together. But yeah, like the her birth was not what I thought it would be. I let a lot of my wishes go even in the OR. But I think at that point I was just like, I did what I came to do as much as I could. I'm at peace knowing that she's here with me. And I know that that's also like a tricky thing, right? Because I would never tell someone like, at least you have a healthy baby. I would never say that to anyone. For me, that's that's where my heart landed, right? It was the one thing that got me on the other side of it, just being like, after everything we went through, I just need her here. Yeah, I think that's fair. And I think that's, you know what I I appreciate about that story and the fact that that was your thought is that I do think that, and God, I was so guilty of this in my pregnancy of when people would say like, we just want healthy mom and healthy baby. Oh, yeah. I, I used to sort of think like, fuck you. <laughs> like yeah. I want more to my birth experience. Yeah. And once you've gone through labor and know how raw it is, I think my experience is that I now understand that that actually is mostly 
not intended to like degrade my wishes. It's like mostly intended to like send well wishes because labor is wild. Yeah. And I think it's, as you're saying that, and as it flew out of my mouth, I think it has to come on your own terms, like anything with grief, right? You can't rush that process of healing. And so when someone else is imposing that on you, it feels so condescending or dismissive or like a minimization. But when like, I almost think like it's like a a really healing and powerful thing. If like you land there on your own accord, it's not shoved down your throat. It's like, I look back and I see everything I went through and I'm glad we're here together on the other side. Yeah. I love that. And that's crazy. I actually don't think I knew all of those details about Betty's arrival and she's going to be a handful. You're a viewer. (laughs) Well, and I don't know if you know this and I'm, I share this as like a cheeky, more lighter side of the story, but I, Betty beat plan B. (laughs) So as I miscarried, I was so, I was like, no, 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 no. No, no, no. I will not. I won't go through this again. I was so just beat up. And I took a plan B and I found out I was pregnant five weeks later. And so I, (laughs) I (laughs) I did not know this part of the story. So Betty is a force to be reckoned with. And Betty. (laughs) (laughs) Wow. That is. She is, she is a fighter. Wow. Wow, we could have a whole conversation. <laughs> oh, yeah. oh, that opens like a whole can of worms on all fronts about reproductive health care and, and this, that, the other. But so were you happy, Caitlin, were you happy to be a mom times two then? Like genuinely? Or tell me about that transition to, because Reese, and I don't want to say, let's be careful with the words here because I hate saying wanted, but Reese, you like planned, wanted, you got, you had your baby boy, then you miscarried, you decided you didn't want to be pregnant again, and then you were pregnant. And I want to also be respectful that you are a mom to this amazing little girl. And so we'll put the disclaimers here that when we talk maybe honestly about your initial feelings or your feelings about pregnancy, that you are a wonderful mom, you take wonderful care of your kids. And I am curious genuinely about the thoughts throughout pregnancy and early days of postpartum of like, holy shit, I didn't actually plan this. And here we are. Mm -hmm. I'm just yeah. curious your thoughts. And and I'll say this too. I I'm always I've always been someone who's very open and honest and transparent because I and, and again in my own time as I healed and and moved through things, I believe in the power of sharing because I'm not the only person who's experienced hell, right? And yeah. <laughs> I think if I can share my story and offer a moment of like, oh, I'm not alone. I want to do that every time, any chance I can. The thing with Betty was that like John and my husband and I were going through a really, really, really hard time in our marriage too. And so it was, it was really tough. It was very hard to be like, how do we get here? And I had never felt stronger. Oh, I was doing like unassisted pull-ups. I was squatting 250 pounds. I was hip thrusting 500 pounds. I was doing all these crazy things. And I think I channeled so much of like the hurt and angst of the miscarriage into just like, how can I be like untouchable, like unbreakable, resilient, right? It was a bordering Mm -hmm. unhealthy. And so I had to resolve a lot of shit when I found out I was pregnant. Like, how did I get here? What's going to happen to me? Like, but 
I love being a mom so much. And so there was always just that side, like too, that I could, I had always felt the balance of like, okay, like I had, I've moved past, like I, I forgave my body. I never once like held resentment toward my body, but like, and I think because of that, I was able to see part of it being like, I wanted a second baby, right? Mm-hmm. I wanted this. I just didn't know how to truly take care of myself and heal the miscarriage. And I think that mm-hmm. that's a big takeaway there, right? It's like so many of us are left feeling people don't know how to help you, right? Mm-hmm. God, I would sit on my couch and drink a bottle of wine by myself in the dark and watch The Bachelor. That's that's a good way to heal. <laughs> And then work out. You know what I mean? Like that was what I was doing. Cause nobody, people were like, you know, people love to say like, oh, at least it was early or whatever. Or like, nobody can say the right thing. I think even if people are well-intentioned, it's like, it's not, it's not going to fix anything. Right. It's an, it's unfixable. And so there are no good words. Yeah. And so there was a part of me that was relieved to be on the other side of that and start this like new healing process and like work toward this baby that like, I, I yes, I wanted, but it, it just never felt like a good time. And uh, it was, it was a roller coaster. It was a beast. I mean, like now she's here and I'm like, I can't imagine my life without her. And what's funny is she looks nothing like me. <laughs> Reese is like my spitting image, little dude, my best buddy. She is like, whips us all into shape and she's blonde with blue eyes and just it's so funny she she has my dimples but that's it and I'm just like it's so funny like I just she has completed our little bubble so much like so well right it's just like life doesn't would never feel right without her and it's you know I, I believe in like the power of like the universe doing what it's meant to do but yeah it was it was not easy it was it was a lot of like resolving so many things. So yeah. many things. like and- internally your relationship with your husband. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I want to be respectful of time and oh my god, I have so many more questions I could ask you which we'll just have to have more of these conversations, but as much as we can in in time that we have, I want to ask the question of for women that are embarking on their journey first time, second time, whatever. What questions. How how do you think women should go about one if they are assembling a care team, be it inclusive or exclusive of a doula? Like I I think that one thing that is not commonly talked about is like what we should be asking to like align with care providers. Like how do you think women should go about assembling their care team? And maybe that's even inclusive of trainers. Like let's not exclude that part because that's how where this conversation started and like whatever is like what do you know that you can share with women who may not have the opportunity to work with you? Which, by the way, I want everybody to know that Caitlin is available for virtual services <laughs> and she's wonderful. But I also think that women that are like seeking out kind of their care team, like what can you share for women to go into even just that process feeling empowered? Yeah. I mean, as you're asking that, like my gut instinct is to like say, ask about philosophy, right? Mm-hmm. Like, what is your philosophy? Like, and I think that that opens up, anybody can interpret that however they want to, but at the heart of it, it's like for a trainer, it's like, are you going to empower me or disempower me? Right. What can you teach me? What can you offer me? I think with doulas and, and providers, like your OBs or midwives, it's, it opens an opportunity for them to disclose, like, do they prioritize one style of birth over the other? 
are they heavy handed on interventions? Are they going to give you the space to like have more autonomy? You know, sometimes I talk to people about asking their providers, like at some point, it doesn't even have to be in the beat. And also this is something too, people don't realize, like you could change your provider at any time. People do it. People change their provider at 30 weeks as they're nearing, they've learned more, they're coming into their own, they're, they're bolstering their confidence for their, their birth preferences. And they're like, my provider doesn't align with this. And then they change, right? And so know that, that you can always change your provider if you find that that like your, even your idea and vision shifts as you move through your pregnancy. But I think like at some point, it's also helpful to ask like, what are your rates of inductions? How often are you utilizing XYZ intervention that that is heavy on my heart? Like, and, and getting their data points too, because sometimes that's helpful in intel. Um, their data I, points. I think, you know, I, I want to include one asterisk there is that I learned early that my second, I moved, that my second set of care providers were more intervention heavy, but it's because there isn't a neonatal unit at the hospital. And understanding that helped me understand they have to be more conservative. Do you know what I mean? Like, and I had to be okay with that. By the way, I could have chosen to deliver at a different hospital an hour and 20 minutes away. But I think that your point about finding the data points, like ask their philosophy if something feels like it's not in alignment with your preferences. Also ask why. Like, Mm -hmm. oh my God. I tell people that, I'm so glad you said that. Why is the most powerful question you can have throughout this process? Why? Why, why, why? When you're in labor, if you don't have like a partner who can ask that question or a doula who can ask that question or a loved one who's there supporting you, like know that like everyone should be trained to ask why. If they're coming to you and saying that we need to rupture your bag of waters and you're in early labor, <laughs> why? Right. And it catches them off guard sometimes. And I'm not saying that like your medical providers, your nurses are, are your enemy, but sometimes we cannot also deny the fact that there are systems in place. And a lot of the medically managed interventions aren't appropriate. Yep. And and so I want to say that too. Like, yeah, I'm a little bit of an unconventional doula. I have my Botox. I have my lip filler. I have whatever the fuck. Like, (laughs) great. You know? But it's funny because people throw that in my face all the time. They're like, how are you a doula? And I'm like, what? Because we can all exist in our own presence and in our own ethos and our own energy and like do our fucking jobs. Right. I know I'm not like, I'm not the most crunchy hippie doula, but like, I also believe in empowering women to be whoever and whatever and handle things however they need to, that makes them feel autonomous and strong and like a badass bitch. And mm-hmm. I think that like, I, I will say that like, I like to think I, I dance this delicate dance around autonomous, low intervention, empowered birth giving women's bodies the space to do what they are designed to do and capable of doing and lifting women up in that process. But also understanding like, yes, there are times when like medicine is appropriate, but the medicine shouldn't be our front line of defense. There's so many ways to like manage risk, to avoid things, to navigate the physical biomechanical body to like resolve certain things. And it's like, can we lean into that first? Yeah instead of causing commotion and like having too many cooks in the kitchen and, and hands on someone's body that don't need to be there. And so I just say like, ask why all the time, ask why and like make them squirm, make them get uncomfortable. The other thing too, that people can 
recall, and this is not a me thing. This has been around the internet forever, but the brain acronym, it's like, what are the benefits? What are the risks? What are the alternatives? What does my intuition tell me? And what if we do nothing? And that's like a great thing to have Mm -hmm. in people's back pockets throughout pregnancy and childbirth too. When you feel maybe like something in your gut is telling you something's off, but you don't know what to ask. So like probing that way, the brain acronym and why I think are like really great assets to have for you and your support team when you traverse childbirth. I love that. And pregnancy and postpartum. All of it. All of it. Life. <laughs> life. Life. I, I think the thing too that I think about asking why is you're going to learn a lot in how they respond to yeah. asking, right? Like oh if they may have data that they want to present to you and you can do what you want with the data, but if they're willing to entertain your questions of why, like I asked why, I asked my providers here, like why, you know, I hear that everybody here is very conservative, why? And they're like, well, we don't have a neonatal unit. So if anything happens to the baby, we have to fly them to another hospital. So we tend to err on very conservative sides. I was like, oh, First, they answered my question respectfully. Second, their answer made sense. And so it gives you information that like, okay, I'm in conversation with my provider, not like it's just, they're just coming at me. So I'm literally obsessed with that. We didn't get to talk about (laughs) what you're doing in all your postpartum support. So we'll just have to talk about that in another conversation. But before we end today's conversation, is there anything else that we didn't talk about that you wish that you could share with anybody embarking on particularly the pregnancy labor journey? Well, I just think it's important to fortify your competence, your intuition. And that, that stems from the people and conversations, content, anything that you allow to permeate your brain space. Nobody is entitled to you. Nobody is entitled to know your birth preferences. No one's entitled to your energy or to share their birth traumas and trauma dump on you while you are pregnant. And also like boundaries are just as important as support and postpartum. Um, I will die on that hill. You do not, no one's entitled to like come into your postpartum recovery room or be present at your birth or see your baby. Like just really knowing that like the more you can cultivate a sanctuary of like you and your body and your baby and allow that energy and intuition to build and and flourish, like you're going to be better off for it. And I'm not saying isolate and hermit yourself away, but like, trust your gut, trust your instincts, do like a complete social media cleanse of like any birth content you're consuming that brings anxiety or adrenaline or makes you doubt yourself, your intuition. And Also, this is one thing too, that I like to tell people, and I don't know if we ever got to talk about this, but one thing that I often tell people when they're prepping for postpartum, just on the topic of like boundaries and support, it's like, who's your gold star friend, right? Like who's the gold star friend whose phone number and name can be like on your refrigerator. If your partner notices like a change in yourself in postpartum, if you find that like you're really struggling with the baby blues or postpartum anxiety, depression, any of these things, like who's the person who knows you better than you know yourself and will like come crawl in bed with you and like Mm. help you through. That might be a mom. That might be your sister. That might be your best friend that they may or not have children of their own. But I think like, it's something that I like to say. I don't, I don't think I'd like get the chance to say that enough to people like Mm. you need that one person who's going to like pull you through some of the toughest times and just postpartum is a time we don't often ask for help. 
right? It's the same thing as when someone's like, well, what do you need? How can I support you? And it's like, how, where do I begin? Right. But it's also like, I don't know sometimes too, Mm -hmm. is like, and I think your point about the gold star friend is like somebody who knows you and knows your ins and outs and can help you. Because I think the thing too, with like strong women is my experience was I was like, I should be able to do this. Like, I'm fine. I have a healthy baby. I'm physically fine, like whatever. And I had bad baby blues. I don't know if I had, I don't think I had postpartum depression. I definitely had some version of anxiety. And like, you just need somebody outside of yourself to help you. All I, all I really needed was somebody to tell me to leave the house every day with my baby. Mm-hmm. That was it. That was all I needed. Somebody who said like, you love to be out in the world. Like, don't be a hermit. For some people it is be a hermit. Don't let the world in. But I think you really hit on something important there. And like, we could probably have a whole nother hour long conversation about community and, yeah. and navigating community because you both need it. And you also need to have firm boundaries. Oh my gosh. I know. <laughs> totally. That's a whole thing. But I do want to be respectful of time. I am so grateful for you and what you're doing in the world. And I actually, yeah, I just, I'm I'm so appreciative and for you sharing your story and your knowledge and your thoughts so candidly. So I expect that there will be another conversation specifically probably about postpartum because that's, yes. that's a dome beast. <laughs> yeah. And it really is. And I would love to, to have it and dive into that because as much as this work, it's so we, I don't think this is a secret, especially if anyone listening to this is on the other side, but we often talk about how like we prep and prep and prep for childbirth, right? We rarely prep for motherhood and postpartum and not to leave anyone on a cliffhanger here, but like (laughs) hanger until, until episode two, where we talk about that, because I actually think that there's, there's so much there. So I'm just going to hit ready. I'm going to say thank you. Thank you. (laughs) Thanks for hanging out with me today to continue the conversation and learning. Follow me on Instagram at mothercrafting. I'll catch you here next week.